You're listening to Transform Your Profits, the podcast for accountants who want to build a more profitable, successful, and impactful accounting firm. Your host is Reza Huda, a practice owner, mentor, and coach to accounting firm owners. Hello, hello, and today's episode is with another accountant doing awesome things, and that accountant is Pamela Phillips of De Young Phillips. I'll be speaking to Pamela about her journey and setting up her practice, and the subject of uh, today's pod is around Pamela becoming an award winner. So she's going to share some of the story around what led her to entering for the awards, why enter for awards? What benefit has the awards had on her and her practice? So great episode. We don't just cover becoming an award winner, but we go into some of the other aspects of Pamela's firm, most notably her actually living in Germany and running her team remotely, a team of 10. So that was really interesting. And also going into when she decided to specialize her business as well. So as always, these episodes are full of uh, great nuggets for you if you're an accounting firm owner, which no doubt you are because you're listening to this podcast and most of the audience are such. So you're going to get a lot of benefit from this episode as always. Take whatever takeaways that you can and start to implement them or start to see the themes that are appearing in these episodes that I am running with other accountants. And if this is your first one, you haven't checked out the others, go and check those out. This is episode 23 of the Accountants Live session. So go and check the other 22 out if you haven't already. But otherwise, I'll leave it there and uh, let's get stuck in and I'll see you on the other side. So just to kick things off, I'm gonna ask Pamela to give a brief introduction about herself and her firm. So over to you, Pamela, kick us off. Hi, um, so yeah, I'm Pam Phillips and I run a practice based in Epsom called Young Phillips. Um, on my personal background is I worked in large finance um, teams in large businesses for about 10 years and that's where I learned about how a really robust finance function can transform a business's course and I wanted to bring that big business finance support to small businesses and that's when I set up Young Phillips. Um, we focus on working with agencies, and since the start, um, we've leveraged tech to enable us to do this. Fantastic. And I, so I know you say you're based in Epsom, but you're not actually in Epsom at the moment. You're in Germany, is that right? Yeah, that's right. So yeah, the firm is based in Epsom. I live in Germany, so I moved to Germany uh, a year ago, this time last year. Um, and, I, and I'm going to be here for another year and uh, run, run the firm remotely. Fantastic. So that's a lot more interesting to talk about, Pamela. So talk us through <laughs> that. I mean, how, how, you know, how did that happen? You know, what, why Germany or what kind yeah. of, you know, what kind of gave you the confidence that you were able to leave the firm and leave your people and let's know how many people you have employed and where are they based to then hop across uh, the continent and, and place yourself in Germany? Yeah, well, you know, I think it's, um, I, I know quite a few people that have done this. And I think COVID and lockdown was what triggered my move. I'd had, through my husband's work, had lots of opportunities to work abroad before. And we'd always said no, because you know, we wanted to be close to friends and family. And for work reasons, we thought it was important to stay local. And th strangely, I thought that despite running a practice that was fully digital. And I knew we could work remotely. And I did work, like we had people that worked remotely. But I felt that I needed to be present um, in the office for, for the team um, and for clients. But then having sort of enforced lockdown, I realized I absolutely could work from anywhere. 
uh, didn't need to be in the office. Germany's not so far away that I can't pop back. So I did come back every month or two. Um, and yeah, and, and the other reason was after being locked down for a year, I was just really keen to be somewhere different and have a bit of an adventure. So when my husband was offered a job in Frankfurt, we thought, why not? We'll, we'll, we'll do it. So we've moved the whole family over here and um, we'll try to learn German and figure out how things work. Um, a year in and we're getting there. Um, another year, hopefully we'll be able to understand what people are saying to us when they talk to us. Yeah. Brilliant. Amazing. That's fantastic. And um, yeah, it is. It, that is when I, you know, I talk to accountants. It's, it's one of the, the blessings of COVID that has helped us to realize that as knowledge workers, we don't need to be in a fixed place of work for work to happen. Work can happen from anywhere, you know, as um, we can, um, you know, we kind of move to a, an environment where only results matter. So you can work when, where and how you want, as long as the work gets done. And with technology that we have at our fingertips these days, that's quite easy to do so. So I'm, I'm, I'm really glad that you've kind of embraced that as well and have made the move over. How have your, you know, what did you have to make sure that you had functioning in the team? in terms of the culture and the uh, kind of uh, attention on results to to be confident that moving across to Germany things you know wouldn't just go to pot and would still keep functioning the way you are what kind of what would you what advice do you have in terms of those foundations that you had to have in place in order for you to be successful working from anywhere Mm, that's a good question. There's probably quite a lot of elements that go into the, the answer. So for me, um, I didn't have to change anything radically for moving because we were already set up to work this way anyway. Um, I think the, the key components are having the right people uh, in your team so that when I'm not there, there's other people around that know how to run the business, having the right processes in place so people know what they're doing, how to do it. Um, so having playbooks. Um, having the right tech in place so that everything is digital. We'd already been, um, you know, we've got all the tools in place to run the business from anywhere. So we've got a, a workflow management system. We use Slack and Zoom and um, Loom and Carbon and all, all the stuff, all the tools, all the tech was already there. So I think the having the tech in place is essential. Having the right team and st structure in place is key um and having the right culture where people um are able to be autonomous and make their own decisions is really important too fantastic brilliant yeah no absolutely that's um that's critical to kind of have those you know have the systems that do the heavy lifting and the processes to make sure that there's a consistency of delivery of the the standard of service that you would expect that you would give to clients to make sure that the team are you know fully aware and uh uh their kind of the standards are maintained and expectations are managed so you know in these sessions we like to get into the nitty-gritty because accountants listening to this will want to know well you know what is the tech stack that you use in particular to, to manage these things you mentioned carbon as well so i presume that's your kind of your workflow management and also your your crm can you let us know some of the other tools that you use to manage a kind of a fully remote team yeah definitely um i'll probably forget some but there's the the key ones we use um carbon um we use that extensively 
we use um, zero, like we're a zero only firm. Um, we use Dex Precision, Dex Prepare for doing the analytics on um, the data in, in the client systems. We use Float for running cash flow forecasts. We use Chaser for managing credit control. We work with Capitalize for arranging funding and for debt collection activities. Uh, we use Tellery to make payments on behalf of clients. Internally, what else do we use? We use Citrix Sharefile for storing and sharing uh, data. And G Drive, we, we, we use Gmail and G Drive and G Sheets. Um, Harvest, that's a controversial one. We use, we track time and we use Harvest for that. Um, and we track time not to keep an eye on everyone, but to really understand our um, profitability and where we can do better. So, for example, um, if we understand where the bulk of our time is going, we can zoom in on on that, and we know that that's somewhere to look. Do we need to improve the process there, implement some tech, give some training, charge a client more? So, we, we use Harvest that helps helps us um, understand understand that. Um, I think that's probably the main ones. Okay, fantastic. No, thanks for um, thanks for sharing that uh, long list of uh, tech stack. But I mean, that's kind of pretty uh, pretty standard in uh, in in our world these days. Where we've got so many bits of uh, tech that we need to uh, to function effectively and yeah. to be able to have our team working from anywhere and be able to maintain those standards and have those systems that are doing the heavy lifting so yeah. that uh, we're not constantly overwhelmed we're keeping everything in our head or relying on you know okay spreadsheets to, to manage workflow and things like that when we've got software that can do it so much better yeah. so the other thing i want to focus on is is culture and that is an integral part as well. I mean, in my four pillar framework, there are the two external pillars I talk about, which is pricing and positioning. So getting really clear on who you serve and then taking a share of the value you create through your pricing. And you, you know, quite uh, rightly said in terms of music to my ears that you, you've niched down and you work with creative businesses. So that's great. And then the internal pillars are all about having those processes in the system. So that's the process pillar and then having good people. So people is the other pillar that starts with the P to uh, and have, have the right culture, to be able to attract the best talent, retain your high performers and maximize everyone's potential. But yeah. that just doesn't happen overnight. You know, there, there are there are things that we need to do in order to kind of build that culture. And you mentioned one of them, which was autonomy, which is great because it's all about, you know, people want to have that ability for self-determination. They want that independence, just like we do as entrepreneurs. We want to have control over our time. And the more control we give to our team, the more they will uh, reciprocate in terms of, you know, doing their best. And uh, but uh, they're able to kind of work in their genius in order to be able to be, you know, the most productive and the most uh, uh, valuable to us in terms of what we want to achieve. Is there anything else that you feel you have done or consciously kind of put in place to develop that culture that has allowed you to give that complete trust to your team and get them, you know, performing to the standards that you would expect that enable you to, to, to live, work, and manage them from anywhere in the world. Um, I think, yeah, there probably are some things to think what what we've done. So I suppose it starts with recruitment. We work hard to recruit the right people that fit into an environment where autonomy is encouraged, and um, uh, people that are motivated to improve things and motivated to um and motivated by what we as a finance team can do for our clients 
and rewarded by that. So we re we focus really hard on recruiting people who um, do the things that we want them to do, and I think that helps the culture. Being uh, yeah, that that helps the culture to start with. Um, we do we have quite small teams within the team, so there's a lot of support and collaboration across the team. And I think actually, if you can get that right, then people are joining, they will fit into that structure. If they if they join a team where everyone is keen to support them or jump on a Zoom anytime to train them or help them through a problem or pick up work if they're struggling, if that's what they're welcomed into, then they will sort of uh, give that forward to the next person that's joining and it creates a sort of self-sustaining culture. So we, we, you know, we, we, we encourage that and we, we um, acknowledge, acknowledge that. We've got our values that we talk about and we reference and we um we praise when people uh work, work or live live into the values i think stepping back from that i think it's really important and something we've done loads of work on the last couple of years is having or giving clarity over people's um career path and where they will get where where they are headed and how they can get there and how we can support them and how they can support themselves to getting there um so we've got a really clear we've gone through an exercise of creating because we didn't have this a few years ago um but we've gone through a process of getting really clear on what role profiles um you know what exactly should uh, should be done by role what um and then we have annual and quarterly team uh one-on-ones uh with a manager and a, a team member and we, we call them my future self-review because basically it's up to the person themselves where do they want to get to where do they want to be in the next 12 months um, and if it's a promotion then it's really clear what they need to do because the rule profile has laid it all out what they need to do to get there and then they can um the manager and the, the person can work together to come up with a plan for getting there and then that's supported through the year so i think that is really important to keep that culture um going people need to feel like um that they have got a career path and that they've got some control over where that's taking them fantastic yeah yeah, yeah i know that that's right and how, how many do you have in your team and just talk us through your your kind of um you know your structure uh, how it operates and, and what role you play and how much input you have still in the business yeah so there's 10 so quite a small team there's 10 of us and we've got um two client managers each with um well the idea is that they'll have two small pods each but at the moment the pods kind of a shared a shared resource i guess um basically because we work with we put our team uh a team are assigned to clients so they're given a client portfolio to suit like the, the client what the client's needs are then we build the team around it so the clients get a dedicated team so at the moment we've got a bit of a uh, uh, a pool of resource i guess um the two client managers um running all the client client work so um in theory i shouldn't have to do too much client facing work at the moment i have stepped in because we've had a few things going on and it's meant I've needed to, but on the whole, I need should be doing or will be doing client work that's um, particularly high value or unusual, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, so we've set it up so that the work we do is pretty routine. So it can, it doesn't need me to be involved 
and that's what I that's how I want it to be and that's actually going back to your question about how one of the things that needs to be in place before I can move to Germany the clients needed to have a relationship with someone that was local and that needed to not be me and mm -hmm. luckily they already had that in place but I have worked hard to make sure that I'm not the main point of contact for our clients Fantastic. Yeah, that, that is the key really to kind of allow the team to develop those relationships so that it's our team that then have, uh, you know, they're the, the main relationship with the client, and they can cultivate those and they can nurture those over time. So it's less reliant on you to be involved at every stage. And actually, that serves two purposes. It serves the purpose of enabling you to step away and doing what you should be doing as a business owner and looking at ahead and strategy and all that kind of thing and supporting the team. But also it ties in the team member and actually gives them that um, that ownership, that, that feeling of responsibility, that they're accountable not to just you as a business owner, but they're accountable to their client because it's their client. And I have this kind of ladder mm. of accountability. When people come in, you know, team members, they're shown this ladder of accountability and that the top of that ladder is clients. First and foremost, they are accountable to the client. So whatever the client needs, the client deadlines, client response times, client service, it's all down to you as a team member to manage that. Secondly, in the ladder, the rung of the ladder is is your team members. You are firstly accountable to clients, then accountable to your team members, because that's how we make sure that we can operate in an environment where people can have unlimited holiday and they can work when, where, and how they want, because everyone is supporting of each other and covering each other when they need to. And lastly, they're accountable to me. So I come last on the ladder. Firstly, clients, then team members, then uh, me as the business owner. So that's fantastic yeah. to hear that you operate in a similar fashion. Okay, so moving on to kind of the, the subject of today, which is becoming an award winner. So let's talk a little bit about that, because you obviously won the Zero Award, was it this year? Yeah, I won the Zero Small Firm of the Year Award this year. And then uh, the year before, we won Accounting Excellence Small Firm of the Year. Fantastic. Okay, so talk us through that. What do you think? Uh, led you to to win the award clearly you know you everyone kind of submits their application what do you think it was about your application that uh, the judges saw fit to award you out of all the thousands I'm sure that entered to be zero's uh, firm of the year um so I don't know I can't speak to what they saw in our application but um I guess I can tell you why I think the yeah. application went down well um we I mean, firstly, we took time and we really invested in the process. I think some of the, you know, it is a process of um, selling yourself. So we took the time to to do that carefully. Um, we were authentic. I think that's really important. I think you really do have to believe and live what you're writing. I think it comes, having been a judge, so last year I judged the Accounting Excellence Awards for, this year I judged the Accounting Excellence Awards for small. No, it was last year I judged it actually. So I've seen the applications as well. I've seen it from the other side. Um, you, you can see when an application is not authentic or when uh, it's not consistent through throughout the throughout the answers. So I think being authentic, really um, being quite strong um, and honest about what you believe in your application and talk about what sets you apart. Um, every firm is different and every firm will have something that they can shout about. So articulating what that is, is really important. Um, so and a little bit of detail on that then, Pamela. What what did you put in there that uh, you felt sets you apart from the others? I think for us, it's we are the full finance function for our clients. Um, and I know 
there's increasing number of firms doing that now, but we've been doing this for a long time. This is how we started out and why we started out. So we've really been living and breathing it for a long time. Um, so we've learned from that journey, we've learned what that means and the, the service we offer has evolved. And it's something now that I'm really proud of that I think really does resemble a finance function that you would get inside a big business. Um, so I can talk at length about how we do that. And I guess that gives credibility that, that we, we actually, it is what we do. Um, we back it up with testimonials. So I think, again, when you're doing an application for an awards, prove and give evidence around what you're saying. So we put in testimonials um, and we put in numbers and statistics and facts that can be checked. We don't write anything that's not true um, or that, you know, again, going back to when I was judging awards, I could see people would answer questions about how you promote yourself, about how they do lots of social media and, con and blogging. And you can see straight away that they, you, know, you can quite easily check these things. So, um, so yeah, being honest. Um, what else? I think our use of tech, we're quite advanced on that. We've been using tech again since the start. We were pretty much ready and waiting for the tech to be there to support the vision we had. We wanted to deliver a finance function. And a long time ago, that tech didn't exist and it wasn't possible to do what we can do now. So we've kind of been ready and waiting. So when the tech comes out, we can jump on it and implement it and roll it out rather than seeing it and thinking, what can we do with this? How can we sell it? Because we already know how we're going to use it and why our clients need it. Mm -hmm. um, but I think, I mean, like I said, every firm's got something that they do differently and do well. And I think it's really believing that and talking about that and leaning into that is really important in, awards, um, in an awards process. Yeah, fantastic. Now, some good, um, some good, uh, very good tips there, uh, particularly the ones about having... Uh, mentioning the, the testimonials even though they're not specifically asked for putting them not going to hurt your application and also putting in those uh, those facts and figures to support growth if that's one of the uh, questions in there and actually yeah you've, you've got to invest in the process if you want to be taken seriously there are people who you know uh, will if the applications that uh, that go through that are successful have actually invested time in the process to complete it to the best of their ability to uh, stand the greatest chance of uh, of success in those awards so tell me what what uh what, what do you think the benefit has been to you if there's any you know can it, can you mention any tangible benefits of actually the uh i guess the, not, not just the process but actually winning the award has what what doors is it opened uh, what um, uh, increase in potential kind of uh, credibility or new business, if any, it has had on you winning the award, if you could talk us through that. Yeah, I mean, there's definitely been an impact. I, I, I would struggle to measure it. And if there's a way, I'd love to know how you'd measure it. But I've definitely, I, I guess there's some of, the, uh, some of the things I can point to where I get invited to more podcasts and webinars and uh, guest write on blogs or for, for um, other people's websites and all of these things are great you know great marketing and great for raising my profile so there's that one obvious benefit and um, we've actually had a client that, that came to us specifically because we won an award and they even said I don't really know how much this award is worth but the fact is that you've beaten all the other people entered so you must be quite good so I guess some people do choose you on that basis and it does add credibility if you could say you were an award award winner because someone has scrutinized what you do and judged you or um or in some way is uh, warranting an award um 
And I think also just within the industry, I get to be involved in more conversations. So not just publicly, but behind the scenes, I get invited to join in with conversations about with the tech companies or with other accountants around where the industry is moving and what where, where tech's going. And I love personally, I love being part of those conversations. I love hearing what other people are doing and learning from others. And I'm really happy to share what I'm doing. So I, I personally get a lot out of, of that. And that's definitely, you know, winning awards helped open those doors for me. Mm, absolutely. Definitely. Fantastic. No, that's great. Some great um yeah, great reasons why it uh, it pays to to enter awards because yeah, as as Pamela said, it opens doors and you never know where those uh, serendipitous opportunities might uh, might lead. So uh, yeah, yeah and actually, the there's there's one other one I would say is worth, really really worth doing, and probably the most important one, and it's not the external, it's it's uh, it's the targets you set yourself for the next year. So if you invest time, and we've done a few, you know, we've entered a few awards now. You take the time to enter them whilst you whilst you're writing the awards there's so many things that you'll think i wish i could write this and i wish i could say that and that you've just set your targets well mm. I, that's one of the ways we set our targets for the next year because you really look through and analyze what you've done over the last 12 months and it helps you focus what to what needs to you know be better for the next year and that's one of the reasons why did we spend so much time sorting out our role profiles and career paths and that's because we're entering an awards um i just felt we couldn't say enough we couldn't didn't feel that we'd done enough and it shone a light on that mm -hmm. yeah fantastic i guess it kind of keeps you uh yeah it keeps you moving keeps you growing to want to want to be better and want to yeah stretch yourselves and see what you can achieve and having those uh, kind of external accountabilities it were is only going to help them push you further so that's fantastic and i guess it can't help it can't kind of hinder your ability to attract talent because if you can say you're an award-winning firm that's also going to help you to get the best talent out there because who doesn't want to work for you know a successful dynamic award-winning firm right yeah 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 definitely definitely yeah i think that helps and it helps attract the right if we're winning the, t the right type of award it should help us attract the right type of person for our firm Mm, absolutely definitely good if you've got any questions for pamela pop them in the comments and i'll put them to her. i can see one coming um from i think it was penny uh what do you use for preparing stat accounts i guess this was in relation to when you were talking about tech stack oh yeah um, yes i didn't i didn't talk about the accounts so we we use tax calc for preparing stat accounts um and then management accounts you haven't asked but i'll tell you anyway we use sift Cool. Fantastic. So that's the complete tech stack there for you from uh, Pamela's perspective that she's a, a run through in terms of everything that she uses. So, um, so let's now talk about, uh, so if there are any, any questions, please put them in. Uh, if not, then I'll continue to ask any questions that come to, to my head. So I want to ask you, because this is something that I'm quite passionate about in getting, because uh, the, the two big challenges I hear from accountants are, how do we get new clients and uh, how do we get good people? Because we're finding it hard to attract the right talent to our firm. So 
uh, one of the things I'm very passionate about is in terms of when it comes to new clients is being very crystal clear on who you serve and you know positioning yourself as as an expert to a group of people because when you try and appeal to everyone, you appeal to no one. So tell me, when did you decide to specialize and niche down into creative businesses? Has that always been the case or was there a journey that you went through? Uh, so talk us through that because that's really interesting uh, for me to know and for others to hear. Yeah, no, it's not always been the case. We have we have focused on agencies for I would um, what are we two hundred twenty five years now, mm-hmm. um, but it was a journey. So the history of the firm is when um, uh, prior to John Phillips existing. So I came from a big business and set up a firm. My father had his own accountancy practice, and that was very much a general practice. So when I set up in practice, I inherited a lot of his clients and we've carried, we carried on working with them for some time, kind of overlapping with the agencies. And um, I think it became really clear that it was going to be hard to scale for us, the way we were working, being a general practice. And it also became clear that we weren't giving the best value to our clients. So if we were working with a pub, one day and they wanted to know what EPOS system to put in and how they manage their stock. And then the next day we were talking to a construction company who was concerned about their CIS. And then the next day we're talking about an agency who's worried if their projects are profitable or not. How were we as a small team going to be all over all of those things and really be able to honestly say we were given the best advice, but we weren't. So we couldn't be on top of all the software for all the different industries. We couldn't be on top of all the different tax um, changes, the regulatory changes, and not just that, just the best practice. We couldn't honestly say we were given the best advice across all the industries. So it became quite clear from that side that we needed to niche. And then on the scaling side as well, it just, um, I mean, we, even to the extent we didn't used to, I mean, for a long time, we've only been, we've been zero only, but before that we would work with any accounting software because we thought, oh, we're accountants, that's just a tool. But the reality was when you've got team members and you have to train all your team on all the different types of software, it just takes time. And it's much easier to have everyone on one software. Everyone knows it inside out. You can truly say you're an expert. And um, it takes less training less and, and a better quality of advice. So I think the same applies to the clients we work with. We Everything we do is focused on agencies. So we understand their business. We know there's best tech to what for their businesses we we know we're giving the best advice and that's where we invest our training time and um yeah so it was an evolution but we just did we did get there quite a while ago and then in terms of how we exited the existing clients because we've actively exited uh, a lot of clients over the last five years and we've gradually we didn't do it in a one-off we didn't go back we're just agencies everyone um say goodbye to all the existing clients we phased um, kind of did a phase exit of them and I think when we just finally completed that this last year we now have uh, moved away from the um, kind of the legacy clients that aren't agencies. Mm. Brilliant yeah fantastic yeah no, that that's spot on and um, you know I talk about this a lot in terms of that's how you that's how you get efficient at what you do and that's how you get the profitability because if you're working with a select group of people what you're doing in terms of your positioning, you're going deep, you're going narrow and you're going deep and you're working with that particular group and you get to know them better, you understand them better, you understand their problems, their challenges, their 
their fears, their dreams, their aspirations, and you can add a lot more value when you go narrow, when you go deep, as opposed to trying to, uh, you know, work with a variety of different businesses across the board where you're, you know, you're trying to go wide and you're not going to be able to go deep. You're only going to go shallow. So that's kind of spot on what you said there. And the the flip side of that is that because you, you get a lot more efficient at doing it so that the answers are at the top of your head because you're only yeah. dealing with those type of businesses. You don't have to learn the tax rules or the software for, you know, 25, 30 other industries because you're not dealing with them. And on the flip side, you can then charge more because you're a specialist now and people will pay a premium to work with a specialist. So have you found that in terms of your positioning? How have you gone about getting more of those clients and has niching down and specializing into creatives helped you to like you say scale faster and win business from this select group talk us through kind of that that experience yeah i mean it's definitely helped us win business for sure i think most clients that come to us now are with good accountants but they're looking for more they want to work with someone that really knows their industry and is also really up to date with the tech um, that can you know make their business more efficient and more profitable um how do we move i suppose there was a, a learning curve when we decided that we're going to go we didn't just decide pluck agencies out of the air and said we're just going to work with agencies we already had a portfolio of agencies on our books um which um, and we realized there were people that we liked working with we enjoyed sort of helping them grow their business so we i guess learn a lot from our original uh, portfolio clients and then we were able to position ourselves as we, we, we are experts and from that point onwards, we were quite selective about who we took on as clients. So we only take on, we've got criteria that if um, you know, during the sort of discovery process, if a client doesn't meet that, we won't take them on. Um, we, we will only work with agencies that are looking for a full finance function. So naturally that means that there's a, a sort of a minimum of work that we have to do. Um, we, don't, we don't do any just year end clients. Um, and we, yeah, our prices are, they reflect the value that we, that, that we deliver um, and I guess the point of context for our clients is well how much would it cost you to staff up a finance team in your business then that's your comparative price um, for, 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 for using us so yeah we like your point about we can charge more yeah we, we do charge more um, and I'm really comfortable with that because we also invest a lot in the training and the team and we have deliberately low client numbers because we want to that we have to the nature of what we do we are not going to have thousands of clients um in the structure we've got right now so yeah um does that answer the question or have i gone off yeah absolutely on a no, that, yeah yeah def, def, definitely um and uh and that's that's just it you know when you when you, because a lot of accountants, they worry about niching down and specializing because they feel they're going to close the doors to other business. But actually mm -hmm. what ends up happening is that you are more attractive to the niche and the specialism that you have defined because those kind of clients will seek you out. They will seek you out. You'll be able to deliver much more value to them because you have decided to specialize and niche down, understand them better. You'll be able to keep those clients for longer because when someone is working with a specialist, they're not going to be drawn away by, by a generalist. Whereas the, mm -hmm. uh, the, uh, the opposite is not true. If someone's working with a generalist and a specialist comes along, they're going to be prized away and want to work with a specialist because they'll just feel that they'll understand them better. So it just makes it a lot easier to win business. And it's up to you in terms of whether you close 
close the door to other business or not. But in this day and age where it's a very noisy world out there, we have to do whatever we can to differentiate ourselves. And by niching down and specializing is that way to differentiate yourself from the competition so you don't get drowned in that sea of sameness like everybody else. So fantastic that you have done that. Okay, uh, I think I need to stop talking. There's lots of questions coming through. So let's answer some of those. Uh, how many clients do you have and what would you and would you consider a minimum fee? You can probably answer that pretty quickly. Yeah, we've got 50 clients um, and we do have a minimum fee. Uh, it was £500 a month and now it's £750 a month. Brilliant. And so, average fees are around about? Uh, 12, I think they've got, I think they're about 12,000 now. Um, yeah, average fee about £12,000, I think. Fantastic. Good stuff. A uh, question from a newbie. What advice do you have as someone starting their own practice in terms of overall strategy and key softwares for the heavy lifting? Okay. Um, so niche, like, you know, like Reza just said, for, pick a niche and focus on that and put everything into really understanding that niche. Um, and in terms and that, you, that can help you choose where you're going to do your networking and be, you know, be present, um, be visible. Um, and I would, yeah, I would be strict on the software, choose, don't, you, you choose the software for your practice and um, you stick, you stick to that. Um, don't be swayed by clients to using software that they want you to use. You, you're the expert, you know what the right, the best software is for, for, for their business. Um, so we use Xero. Um, I think they're the two big ones and processes and playbooks. If you're starting out, you've got a fresh, clean slate. As you're building up your business, do your processes, work out what your processes are and write your playbooks from day one. Because then as soon as you hire your next person, they've got a guidebook and a manual to follow so that they can step in and start picking up work from you easier. Um, and I think and I think thirdly, get your pricing right. The pricing is critical. Don't start off thinking you need to charge less to win clients. Be picky. If you you know, be picky about the clients you take on, don't take on the cheapest and set prices that are going to be profitable for you, not just now, but when you take on staff. Absolutely. Some solid advice there. And the next one from Roz, what tech were you waiting for that has made the full finance function possible? Ah, uh, very good one. So, I mean, they've all incrementally added up to the full finance function. So I'll answer that by talking about the most recent one we've started using, and that is Telleroo. That was the final kind of piece in our jigsaw puzzle. As soon as we took on Telleroo, which is, if, if you don't know, it's a tool that helps you make payments on behalf of clients without actually making a payment on behalf of client. That's been brilliant because we can take some of the pain away from the business owners of having to pay wages and pay suppliers. So that's been the final piece in the puzzle. The one before that was um, Chaser, so we can run a client's credit control function. And before that, I think Capitalize, we can help them get funding. And before that, Float to cash flow forecasts. So there's, there's been a, a series, but the final piece was Telleroo. And now I feel like we pretty much can do everything that an internal finance function can do. Fantastic. Uh, thank you for sharing that. Uh, Ahmed is asking how much involvement you have in the sign-off process of your work, such as uh, accounts, VAT, returns, management accounts, and payroll, etc. cetera. Uh, really good question. So I'll go work backwards. Payroll, I don't get involved with at all. People on the team do that. Um, in fact, we've actually outsourced that. We work with the payroll um, specialist. Again, they're specialists. Payroll, they're like you have to work really hard to keep up to date with that. And, and when it goes wrong, it's painful to fix. So we learn quite well. Actually, I wouldn't, I would like to say quickly, we learned eventually put that with someone who that's all they do. 
um management accounts i don't review those they're 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 the responsibility of the manager that's preparing them and having the conversations with the clients fat returns i don't review those they're covered by the manager and the account senior accounts i do do a final review of the accounts um I'm debating currently whether I need to be doing that. I would like not to. And I think that's my aim is to step away from that. So I do do a final review of the accounts. I don't prepare the accounts. Yeah, that's all That's all of them. Fantastic. I think you answered that. How many clients you have? Uh, I think lastly from Maria, best marketing strategies for a newly established practice. Um, I, I, I think content marketing works. I think start early, start early writing blogs and getting on social media and sharing just yeah i think social media is really powerful for a newly established practice there's no barrier to entry you can do it yourself so it can be free um and focus where you're talking so find groups if you figured out who you want your clients to be so get yourself in front of them whether it's a social media or face to face Fantastic. That's great. I think that's all the questions. And for your newbies, uh, you might be worth checking out uh, previous episodes of the podcast. All those questions you've asked have been covered on the podcast. So go and check those out and uh, learn learn from that, learn from others that have gone before you. There's uh, 22 other interviews with accountants like Pamela, who you can learn from. So you're not reinventing the wheel. You're not uh, making uh, mistakes and wasting time and money doing the wrong things because there's people that have gone before you and you can learn from them the the fast way so i think that's all the questions answered all my questions answered too so uh, thank you for coming thank you very much pamela for spending the time today and uh taking us through and uh, you know telling us about your journey how you manage your firm remotely how you have become an award winner how that's helped you and how you know you deliver the full finance function to clients as well as specializing in the creative sector that you have so thank you very much for those of you listening if you've enjoyed today's session give it uh, give it a like uh, wherever you are watching catch up on prior episodes and I will see you on the next session. Otherwise, take care. Bye for now. Thanks once again, Pamela. Thank you. Bye. Thank you for listening. For more free content, videos, and resources, visit www.rezahuda.com. And if you haven't already, come and join the community in our Transform Your Profits Facebook group, where we support each other to build more successful, profitable, and impactful accounting firms.